This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. Yesterday, Vice President Kamala Harris, Interior Secretary Deb Holland, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, and other top administration officials traveled all the way to the middle of the Arizona desert to a town of 50 people. The reason? The groundbreaking of 10 West Link. That's a major transmission project that has been under development for nearly a decade and is yet to be constructed. But it's expected to be one of the largest transmission projects to break ground during the Biden presidency, and it'll carry 500 kilovolts of power between Arizona and Southern California. Now, in addition to the big impact it'll make in the region, 10 Westlink could also be an example of how transmission projects can make it through the lengthy and expensive permitting process, which often is a killer for potential projects, and why advocates say changes to the approval process are still needed. And that could be huge since building up transmission capacity is key for the shift toward renewables. So today we chat with Politico's Catherine Morehouse and James Baikalis about the importance of 10 Westlink to the region and as a blueprint. It's Friday, January 20th. Kat and James are joining us on the podcast. James just started last week as our Morning Energy author. Uh, and he has a story here on the 10 West Link transmission line that I know Kat has also studied. So this transmission line, we have high profile Biden administration officials who visited a groundbreaking for this project in a remote Arizona desert. Kat, tell us, why are they there? Why is this so significant? Yeah, so this is a 500 kilovolt transmission line that ultimately will stretch from Arizona to California. And the idea is that it will allow a lot more wind, solar, and geothermal resources to kind of be carried between the two states because it will go across land with basically just a tremendous amount of solar potential, some of the highest in the country. And there's actually already been a big solar project and battery project approved on the path of that power line. And the reason that members of the Biden administration are there, including Vice President Kamala Harris and Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, is that this is one of the largest power lines that's broken ground under this administration. And that's been a really big piece of kind of the climate pledge that they've made is to get more transmission lines built. Yeah, we know how hard these are to build. So how does this project in particular fit into the Biden administration's larger transmission ambitions? Is it kind of just one piece and there's a lot more to come? Yeah, sure. So as we know, the Biden administration is aiming to build a power grid that can run entirely on carbon-free resources by 2035. And a huge piece of that puzzle is transmission and power lines because renewable energy resources are variable, but also predictable in the sense that we know when the sun is more likely to shine and when the wind is more likely to blow. So having the ability to kind of carry these more intermittent resources across the country and between different regions that are experiencing different times of day and different temperatures can really create kind of a balance that a highly renewable system will need in order to maintain greater reliability. So the Biden administration has been really aggressive on saying, you know, we need to get these power lines permitted more quickly because they're really hard to build right now. Yeah, of course, permitting is often a project killer for transmission lines, given how many different jurisdictions and entities are involved. And 10 Westlink was no exception. It did face its share of obstacles. So what were the obstacles for this project and how did it make it through in the end? 
Yeah. So one of the biggest issues that power lines face is just getting permits to get built across these really long distances that they have to travel across, in this case, 125 miles. And this project in particular had to cross military lands and tribal lands, which I'm sure was a lot of paperwork. And it also had to make it through two very different administrations. It first started this process under the Trump administration. But as to how it actually got through all of that on time and on budget, it's a great question. And James pointed out in the newsletter that this project was actually among one of the first transmission projects that was guided by the Federal Permitting Improvement Steering Council. And that committee served as a single point of contact, as he wrote, and held more than two dozen federal and state agencies kind of accountable that were involved in these permit deadlines. So that certainly could have played a role in the relatively smooth process that this power line went through. Right. And James, so you talked to the head of the nonprofit Permitting Institute about why this project, even though it did succeed in the end, right, it took a very long time. So it it demonstrates the need for the types of reforms that Democrats are trying to push through Congress. They obviously haven't succeeded at that so far. So what did he tell you about that? Yeah, exactly. So this project, even though everything theoretically went smoothly, it still took 10 years and it's broke ground on Thursday. So that demonstrates uh, advocates say that it's necessary to make some reforms to that process to make it faster because there's going to be a whole lot of new generation facilities being built in the next couple of years thanks to funding from the Inflation Reduction Act. So there needs to be a corresponding uptick in transmission projects in order to keep up with that generation. So advocates for permitting reform on both sides of the aisle say that permitting needs to be more streamlined and more smooth with reforms in order to keep up with that demand. Also, on Thursday, environmental and conservation groups sued the Department of Transportation over its approval of a proposed oil export terminal offshore near Freeport, Texas. According to the lawsuit filed in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, the department's maritime administration failed to adequately assess various risks that could arise from constructing and operating the seaport oil terminal, including the potential for an oil spill, damage to an endangered species of whales, along with other climate and pollution harms. The maritime administration approved the seaport oil terminal back in November, and it would enable companies to ship out 2 million barrels of oil a day through 50 miles of new pipeline. The move will allow the oil and gas industry to increase its footprint abroad in a way that clashes with the Biden administration's climate agenda, according to environmental activists. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious breakmaster cylinder. Nurma Malaykel is the podcast producer. Raghu Manavolan edited the show this week. Jenny Amitz is the executive producer of audio at Politico. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back on Monday. This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. Did you know that Chevron is working with partners in California to convert the methane from cow waste into renewable natural gas that one day can help fuel trucks across the nation? Find out more at chevron.com slash RNG.